When you got up this morning, yeah. did you imagine that you would see not one, but two presidential candidates light themselves on fire in front of you? <laughs> <laughs> In Iowa last week, some presidential hopes went up in flames. In the age of secularism, race baiting, intersectional feminism, woke progressivism, the destruction of the nuclear family, media lies about the origins of COVID, election interference through the suppression of free speech, and the overall insanity of a matrix that feeds upon people that refuse to think for themselves. We're learning that the people who can communicate a few simple bedrock ideas are needed to calm the madness and slow the social decline of the West. But the people are retarded. Truth be known, we're not learning anything really. We're actually just coming back to the realization that the truths Christians have been spouting for thousands of years might actually demand some consideration. While the progressive move to cut off your nose to spite your face continues at pace, there are many waking up to the fact that old ideas, ancient ideas, one might say even biblical ideas, are actually better than anything we've derived in modernity. Chief among them are the ideas that faith is better at relegating morality than the media, and that family is better suited to hold us together than the government. We haven't improved upon faith and family. We just keep learning the same lessons over and over again that we need them. You complete me. It seems every generation will have to rebel only to circle back to the things the Bible has been telling us for years. If it makes you feel better to pretend you created a value system out of whole cloth that supersedes the Bible, go ahead and tell yourself that. But the truth always wins in the end. God isn't dead. The new atheists are. Can you remember anything that they've done in the last, say, 20 years? What's your moral code? I suppose it's a version of the golden rule. Christianity isn't crazy. Post-Christian civilization is. And in many ways, the dividing line in America today has nothing to do with right and left. It has to do with sane and insane, with truth and lies. For those bold enough to embark upon a journey of truth, no matter where it ultimately leads you, even if it is a crucified Savior in an empty tomb, side note, I encourage you to join me as I look today at the future of the GOP and who may have what it takes to grab the nomination for the primary. I took the time to dig into this eight-hour-long family leadership summit where all of the GOP hopefuls, except for a very bad orange man, showed up to give their best pitch for why they should be president. What at least one of these candidates had to say should give you a little bit of hope that America's future could be much brighter than the Titanic's. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to check out today's show sponsor. Our friends over at Anchor are your one-stop shop for all your business solution needs. They can even help you with staffing. Are you deathly afraid that perhaps you might have hired or will hire a college graduate? Well, in the past, that might not have been so bad. But today, where? 
most college graduates wants to make sure that they celebrate Pride Month every single day of the year, like the annoying neighbor that won't take down his Christmas decorations, and they want to make sure that all of their values are shoved down the throat of all other employees. And if we don't respect those values or happen to disagree with them slightly, well, of course, it's an HR nightmare. If you don't want those kind of HR nightmares at your place of business, and in fact, you actually want professional employees that don't pick it every single time you say, hey, you're not allowed to do that in the office. Uh, well, then perhaps it's time for you to get some experts in your corner who can help you with staffing, bookkeeping, accounting, and so much more. They can even help you with business strategies to take your small business to the next level. And Anchor can help you with all of that. Devan Curry and his team are top-notch pros, and they will do everything they can to make sure that your business succeeds. They care about you, and they care about the things that you care about. That's why you need to support Anchor. So go to ancur.biz today and let them show you how they can take your vision to the next level. Well, last week I was out filming some things and filming some things for the future of the channel that I think are going to really be interesting for you. I cannot reveal all that I am doing now, but let's just say that I am sitting on perhaps one of the biggest stories in Christianity in the modern era that I think could be very, very interesting for each and every one of you as time kind of has the opportunity to help me develop this thing and things unfold with this story. I really believe that the future of Indie Thinker is very, very bright, and we've got some great stories to try to just help keep you informed and keep you thinking for yourself. Suffice to say, while I was out doing that, um, I was packing up some things uh, on the beach with my children, and then we were making our way back to the car, and as I was doing so, two adults, a man and a woman, we're sitting directly next to the staircase leading to the exit, smoking up a doobie. Uh, I was incredulous at the fact that they were doing that right there in front of everybody and in front of my kids. And I turned to them and I said, are you guys smoking weed? And they sheepishly looked at me almost afraid. And then they responded and said, yes, kind of very timidly. And I said, I can't believe you guys are doing that in front of everybody. There's kids all around here and we can smell your weed smoke down on the beach and you're sitting right next to the exit here. And then I just walked away almost dumbfounded that these guys were doing this. Now, this is also in a state, by the way, where it's not legal. So Snoop Dogg, calm yourself. Uh, but for many adults who believe that Snoop Dogg is living the ideal adult life, uh, wake up call. There are responsibilities and there are, you know, I guess, moral obligations that you have to your fellow citizen in society. And one of those might be making sure that you're not trying to give a contact high to seven and eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds on the beach just simply because you want to have a good time. We have a very dysfunctional understanding of rights in the present where we think that because we're Americans, we have the right to give secondhand smoke to everybody that's around us because it was not your bad decisions that gave you a life that you're very depressed about that now you want to smoke. It's also everybody else's problem. Uh, that, uh, that that happened to you and they are going to make sure to pay for it. So all of that kind of tongue-in-cheek, paint the picture that we have a very flawed understanding of what freedom is and what rights are. Certainly freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. That's more like anarchy. And freedom is actually more the ability to choose to do that which is right. For anybody who's ever lived in a totalitarian country or anybody who's ever studied history, you understand that in those regimes, you didn't have the ability 
to choose to do what was right. You were forced to do what your dictator wanted. So it is not a matter of being able to do whatever you want. It's a matter of being able to choose that which is right and to think for yourself about those kind of things. But of course, many in the modern era today think freedom means being able to spark up your blunt right in front of my kids. But unfortunately, in most states in America, it's still illegal and it should be. Now, while some of you would disagree with that, hopefully you will agree with the fact that freedom doesn't mean whatever you want. Uh, freedom is not just merely the ability to consent to whatever. And that's why I'm happy to bring you today a kind of a list. I was going to call it a hit list. It's not really that, but a list of people who showed up in Iowa this past week to speak to Tucker Carlson as he moderated what I think is perhaps one of the greatest kind of pre-presidential primary uh, campaign events that I think I've ever seen in my life. And here, Tucker Carlson pulled no punches, asked difficult questions, and tried to get people to actually focus on issues that matter to the American public. Tucker Carlson, in his second life after Fox, is absolutely doing some blow-the-doors-off reporting that I think all of us should be paying attention to, whether you uh, have any rational hatred toward a man that is probably so dysfunctional and disgusting that you should feel ashamed of it, or whether you like him, kind of like him a lot, or whatever the case may be. He's doing things like speaking to Russell Brand and and speaking to Andrew Tate and and doing his own show. And here is him giving some par excellence kind of coverage to GOP candidates. And specifically, I want to take you to his conversation with uh, a presidential hopeful Asa Hutchinson, who will probably not even be in Wisconsin on the debate stage with the other GOP hopefuls simply because he is never going to make it. But nonetheless, he's showing us right here why he will not be on that debate stage. And that is because Asa Hutchinson is Republican, perhaps in name only, and certainly not standing on the right side of issues. So here is Tucker Carlson speaking to Asa Hutchinson about, quote unquote, parents' rights. Check it out. You said that the bill was extreme and that it would interfere with the treatment of minors seeking to transition from male to female or female to male. Given, and I'm not attacking you for it, but I am asking if in the subsequent two years you've had rethinking of that. Have you reassessed your view on it since then? Well, uh, first of all, I want to ask how many of you all are parents in this room? I'm a parent as well, and uh, what I believe in is that parents ought to raise their children. I believe that parents ought to be in control, and I also believe in the Constitution. I believe that God created two genders, and that there should not be any confusion on your gender. But if there is confusion, then parents ought to be the one that guides the children. That to me is an important fundamental principle. Now obviously you could take it too far and if there would have been a bill that said uh, you uh, should not ever have transgender surgery as a minor, I would sign that in a minute because no parent should be able to consent to that permanent change. But this bill did go too far, it was unconstitutional, it interfered with parents and so I sided with parents on that bill in, in managing the most sensitive issue that a parent can face. 
This is exactly why the Family Leadership Summit in Iowa was so important, because Tucker Carlson is not pulling any punches, asking Asa Hutchinson this question and getting a response back like we have heard from Republicans for years, quite frankly, the kind of disappointing uh, I'm standing up for parents rights, which is just another way of saying I've got a PR prepared message that tries to pinpoint a virtue or a value of people that would vote for me. And I'm going to hide behind that value. I really don't care about that value. I'm going to hide behind it and say, the reason I did this ridiculous thing is because I was actually supporting this value, which is totally ridiculous because this doesn't have to do with parents' rights. Tucker is alluding to the fact that Asa Hutchinson stood in the way of a bill that would keep puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones from being given to minors based upon Asa Hutchinson's reply that, well, we want parents to make that decision. And, uh, you know, these surgeries, they're permanent. And if anybody asked me to sign a bill about these surgeries, I would do that. But these cross-sex hormones and these puberty blockers, these are a different story. And of course, Tucker is alluding to the fact that, well, now we know a little bit more about this stuff. Not that we didn't know it then, frankly, but we know a little bit more about this stuff. And actually, this is these, these drugs that are being used off-label for kids that supposedly have gender dysphoria are actually very permanent. The CDC was honest enough to tell us a while back that based upon whatever age you give kids these hormones, that it can actually cause permanent blindness, which is kind of an issue, I would think, for the rest of your life. But if that's not enough, there was a rare moment of lucidity over at the Times where two reporters actually spoke about some of the horrifying science behind hormone blockers and cross-sex hormones and how they actually do create permanent problems for adolescents. Here's them saying that. And according to the New York Times, as the number of adolescents who identify as transgender grows, drugs known as puberty blockers have become the first line of intervention for the youngest ones seeking medical treatment. Their use is typically framed as a safe and reversible way to buy time to weigh a medical transition and avoid the anguish of growing into a body that feels wrong. Transgender adolescents suffer from disproportionately high rates of depression and other mental issues. Studies show that the drugs have eased some patients' gender dysphoria, a distress over the mismatch of their birth, sex, and gender identity. As an increasing number of adolescents identify as transgender in the United States, an estimated 300,000 ages 13 to 17, and an untold number who are younger, concerns are growing among some medical professionals about the consequences of the drugs. A New York Times examination found. The questions are fueling government reviews in Europe, prompting a push for more research and leading some prominent specialists to reconsider at what age to prescribe them and for how long. A small number of doctors won't recommend them at all. There is emerging evidence of potential harm from using blockers, according to the reviews, scientific papers and interviews with more than 50 doctors and academic experts around the world. The drugs suppress estrogen and testosterone, hormones that help develop the reproductive system, but also affect the bones, the brain, and other parts of the body. During puberty, bone mass typically surges, determining a lifetime of bone health. When adolescents are using blockers, bone density growth flatlines on average, according to an analysis commissioned by the Times of observational studies examining the, the effects. Many doctors treating trans patients believe they will recover that loss when they go off blockers. 
but two studies from the analysis that tracked a trans patient's bone strength while using blockers and through the first years of sex hormone treatment found that many do not fully rebound and lag behind their peers. That could lead to heightened risk of debilitating fractures earlier than would be expected from normal aging in their 50s instead of their 60s, in other words, and more immediate harm for patients who start treatment with already weak bones, experts say. Quote, there's going to be a price, said Dr. Sandeep Koshla, who leads a bone research lab at the Mayo Clinic. And the price is probably going to be some deficit in skeletal mass. In 2015, four prominent American gender clinics were awarded $7 million to examine the effects of blockers and hormone treatment on transgender youth. Now, pay attention to this. In explaining their study, the researchers pointed out that the United States had produced no data on the impact or safety of blockers, particularly among transgender patients under 12, leaving a, quote, gap in evidence for this practice, end quote. Seven years in, they have yet to report key outcomes of their work, but say the findings are coming soon. So just to reiterate, in case you missed it, $7 million was, give, was given to doctors to research the side effects of puberty blockers in young children and to date, no findings whatsoever, but we're promised they're coming soon. If that doesn't give an alarm in your prefrontal cortex, I don't know what truly will. But let me just make a couple of points about Asa Hutchinson's response and more broadly, Republicans like him who talk like this. This issue has nothing to do with parents' rights. Parents do not have the right to do whatever they want to with their kids. That's not a right parents have. Parents do not have the right to abuse their children. On the screen right now, you can see this child on the left is a young boy that has grown his hair out and is wearing a dress because of this monstrosity on the right, which is a, which is a supposed parent, which is abusing their child in teaching their what looks to be maybe all of about eight or nine years old, an eight or nine-year-old boy teaching that child that, that he is a girl. This is not parents' rights. This is abuse. And of course, this should be illegal. And the government has a place in standing up against it. The parent not only does not have a right to surgically alter their child for the rest of their life, they do not have the right to alter their bone density or their fertility for the rest of their life simply for the sake of their own virtue signaling. There is no child on the planet that used to struggle with this stuff and until we had parents who were actually struggling with their identity and their social media presence. And so now they're trying to cloud chase and as a result of it, willing to sacrifice their children on an altar. Sound like a book maybe you've heard of? The second point in all of this, since the first one I hope is obvious, this is not about parents, right? The second one is this, is that we've heard from Republicans for ages. Well, I have this belief, and you heard it from Asa Hutchinson. He didn't quite make this statement, but you could almost hear it coming. He said, I believe that God, that people are made in God's image and that they're made male and female, but uh, I believe in a parent's rights to be able to screw their children up. So this sounds very much like the argument we've heard from Republicans forever. Well, I have my own belief systems, but uh, this is my best Asa Hutchinson, by the way. I have my own belief systems, but but I don't have the right to shove that down on, uh, upon others. That's not the government's role. Separation of church and state and all of that other stuff. And Walmart, where's my money? So in other words, the whole point of this is that this is not about shoving your beliefs in the face of other people about what you believe about gender and what you believe about biological sex. This is about obvious fact, 
But I also want to side note for a moment and just tell you that ultimately, if we're going to make moral statements about anything, then that can, quote unquote, be considered shoving your beliefs in the face of other people. Um, ultimately, if we're going to talk about a just and good society, we might want to take a firm stance on some simple ideas and beliefs that make up that good society and realize that the government does have a role in being responsible for protecting those those kind of rights and those kind of beliefs. And one of them might be, since it, we're not even talking about Christian belief per se, of course, um, we are at the end of the day, but but it, you don't even need Christianity per se to tell you the bi biological reality that boys are boys and girls are girls, and you shouldn't be experimenting upon them with cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers. So if you don't want to protect kids, Asa Hutchinson, because you want to stand behind parents' rights because you think that that's a good cop-out, well, at least just know this. There are Republicans, and the vast majority of them, who do want to protect kids. And we will do what is necessary to make sure that people don't have the right to stand behind supposed parents' rights to abuse their children. And by the way, I'm speaking about you, Dwayne Wade, and also you, Jada Pinkett Smith. All right, but it's not just Asa Hutchinson who had some troubling replies. It was also Mike Pence. By now, you've probably seen Mike Pence's response about the Ukraine war when Tucker Carlson was speaking to him. But just for the sake of reveling in the destruction of a presidential future campaign, here is Mike Pence being pressed on the issue of Ukraine. Check it out. Sorry, Mr. Vice President, have you, I know you're running for president. You are, distra you. You are distressed notice. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. Okay. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. Right. And yet... Your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. Right. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. <laughs> Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. All right, so whenever you have a presidential candidate, a presidential hopeful, and the moderator is applauded more than the candidate, you know you have a problem. Now, let me just say, I like Mike Pence. I think he's a godly man. There's some things that I really appreciate about him. I think his courage in the face of Donald Trump's, you know, pressure to try to do things uh, with the election, I thought I thought was valiant. And, and I respect Mike Pence a lot, but this this right here is not a good answer and is exactly why Mike Pence is not a good, uh, not going to make a good president and will not even make it uh, past the, the, the primary into the general. So um, the, the, the response, it's not my concern. First and foremost, is just the worst response for any, you know, presidential candidate. But, but let me just go ahead and tell you what people are saying about this. They're saying things like, well, you know, maybe he misspoke or he's being mis misinterpreted and misrepresented. That's not exactly what he meant. But let me remind you what Tucker Carlson just asked Mike Pence. The question again was essentially American cities are in decay, but you're concerned about the Ukraine. And then his response was, I'm not concerned about that. So a couple of points here. Uh, a lot of people suggest that uh, that America should not be 
the police force for the rest of the world. But of course, it is in the best interest of not only America, but also the rest of the people in the world that some American ideas, uh, the ideas of a constitutional republic and stuff, being promoted around the world is in the best interest of the people living in countries that are currently being oppressed and repressed, like in Monty Python. So in all seriousness, in places like China, we could actually make a huge difference for the people who live there. And if you actually care about people, then you don't let borders dictate the love of God. Now, I've heard this very often uh, because I have spent a lot of time on the mission field. People would say things like this in Christian circles. They'd say, why do you need to go around the world to feed other people? We have hungry people right here in America. Well, I would say the same thing to that as I do this kind of question about America being the police force for the rest of the world. Well, Borders don't actually dictate my my belief system that a person in China is my neighbor or a person in Mexico is my neighbor. So I do believe that we have a role in the rest of the world to promote American democracy wherever we possibly can. But I would also say that now we're talking about promoting an idea and promoting a way that will benefit the lives of people and not necessarily getting involved in a war. Early on, my position on the Ukraine war was just simply this. I believe it is in America's interest to try to keep Russia from gaining more territory and from gaining more strength in a region where they're going to inevitably gain it by killing others. And and now as things have kind of gone on and we've seen what America is doing, I just I just have a simple suggestion for each and every one of us. Maybe it's not the best idea and the best look in the world for us to continue to support a country by giving them billions upon billions of dollars when we're oddly giving it to a country that has an alleged illegal financial relationship with our president. As information has kind of come along, I think we've come to the point where we're starting to realize that actually what we're doing is we're pushing Russia further close, further closer to China, and we're actually disservicing our own people by giving billions of dollars in an inflationary cycle to a country that we're not even sure cares about quote-unquote democracy. Now, I know this was never about democracy and making sure that Ukraine was a democracy. I don't think that was from the beginning what anybody was saying, even those on the right and the left. I think they were merely saying, those who were honest at least, that perhaps Russia should be stifled. And if we can do so by letting another person fight that war for us, then it saves American soldiers and, you know, it probably saves us money in the, in the long run because wars are costly in terms of lives and in cost and in terms of, of military costs. And so that was the idea early, early on. But I'm, but I'm not sure that we have any way of perceiving what's going on in the Ukraine as anything other than an endless way to spend money. Most of which, by the way, you should know, and this will happen on the show Thursday, you'll hear a little bit more about this. Most of which you should know, the Department of Defense in America doesn't have to balance their budget, so they never know where their money is going. And there is no balancing of the budget for the Ukraine and whether or not the money that we're sending them is actually going to anything. We have no idea where that money is going. So, I mean, could you imagine if this was happening at church and there was no budget whatsoever at that church? Like people would fly off the handle. But now because you get to put a vaccine emoji and a Ukraine flag emoji in your Twitter bio and feel virtuous about standing for the Ukraine, um, people are willing to throw out their 
their better cognitive resources and the thought process in order to support this place. But of course, we should not be supporting it regardless of where the money is going. Again, more on this on Thursday. And the final point about all of this is just, it was good to know you, Mike Pence, but it's not my concern is basically the worst thing you can say on the campaign trail about anything, especially this one. Right now, the Ukraine is the biggest foreign policy issue facing America today because it involves Russia and it involves China. And we're spending the most amount of money on this foreign policy issue than anything else. So it is your concern. Whether he is being misrepresented or misspoke, all of the above is his concern. Give us a way out of the Ukraine and give us a a logical one and do so in a way that also represents the fact that you comprehend and understand your role as the president of the United States to ensure a better future for Americans right now. And I do believe that there was one person who actually had the goods that showed up on that stage and really only one. As I went through Tim Scott, as I went through Asa Hutchinson, Nikki Haley, as I went through most of them, I'll just say there is one who was a bright, shining light. And maybe you'll guess who it is, but we'll have to go to our final segment, Bible study with Democrats, to truly find out. Oh, God of pronouns. Much like the word justice, the word care is being used and abused and tagged on at the end of sentences and at the end of words in order to try to provide some clout for it. So when we talk about social justice, you can rest assured that almost always, especially if a leftist is using the term, they mean somehow some form of intersectionality, wokeism, or just flat immorality. But like I said, care is also being used and abused by the woke radical left today because they just hate the English language and they'll destroy whatever they can in service of their agenda, which they usually can't really communicate at the end of the day. But uh, care is being used not only for affirmative care, which is essentially butchering and mutilating people in a way to try to obscure that. But if there are two words in the present that have been used very often in the past that do not belong together and serve as perhaps one of the most barrack and most ironically ridiculous statements on the planet, it is the words abortion care. And those are two words, Joe Biden, not three. Let me start off with two words, made in America. Um, abortion care. Uh, because obviously we understand that abortion is not care. Abortion is murder. There's no way to conceive a way in which abortion is actually caring for anybody, not even the mother who might think that an abortion is the best way forward for her, because obviously we understand that it is incredibly traumatic and obviously something that takes an emotional toll on that person for the rest of their life. So abortion care is certainly not care for the baby and certainly not care for the mother. Now to kind of parse this as illustratively as I possibly can, Amnesty International is the home for all wokeism or the place where great ideas come to be destroyed and sacrificed on the altar of human sacrifice. This is the place that consistently promotes things on their Twitter, 
like love is a human right. Good luck trying to get them to actually explain what they mean by that. Um, but of course, you understand it doesn't actually mean that people should be allowed to love because, of course, they can love whatever they want. What that actually means is that the government should be behind endorsing every form of love. Bestiality, pedophilia. Hmm? So love actually isn't a human right. Love is a virtue that demands morality be attached to it. But that doesn't stop Amnesty International, who has no sense of morality, to also go on to say things like trans rights are human rights. Oddly enough, the ability to live without the fear of being killed in the womb never even enters on the radar for Amnesty International. These radicals are not actually interested in real injustice. They're only interested in perceived injustice. But maybe if we could get a rainbow flag for these little fetuses on ultrasounds, maybe it would be a totally different story for Amnesty International. Suffice to say, Amnesty International is a great kind of picture for what the left looks like in America today. And in order to curb the insanity of the radical left, it's going to take an outsider, as it did with Donald Trump. And the reason I gave that kind of illustrative beginning to this final person that came to Iowa is because if there is an outsider that has really sparked my interest as a result of what took place at this family leadership summit, then it is Vivek Ramaswamy. He speaks about two things in particular, and we'll do them in this order. First of all, he speaks about the importance of faith for Americans and how we've just kind of ejected our faith in the present and how we are consistently looking for ways to try to scratch that itch for the God-shaped hole inside of each and every one of our hearts. And this is where so much of wokeism comes from, because as G.K. Chesterton said, that um, once you stop believing in God, it doesn't mean you start believing in nothing. It means you're willing to believe in anything. So in other words, that vacancy left where Christian traditional values used to reside will be filled by something. And as we're seeing in the present, it's being filled by the most ridiculous, inane stuff you could ever imagine. Um, so Vivek speaks about faith and the importance of faith and realizes that, hey, if we're truly going to you know, believe in what America is supposed to be, we have to undergird and protect religious liberty and, and faith. Uh, but he also speaks about abortion in a way that I think very few Republicans do. And so let's deal with faith first. So here's a clip of Vivek speaking to Tucker Carlson about the importance of faith in Americans' lives. And I see people my age in particular across this country who are not doing well because we're starved for purpose and meaning. The people are looking to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And yet we've lost the things that used to ground us. Faith, patriotism, hard work, family. These things are gone. And so we're lost in the wilderness. And then we latch on to whatever the other side serves up for us. You know, we could wokeism, transgenderism, climatism, whatever it is. These are symptoms, drug addiction, depression, suicide, you name it. These are symptoms of a deeper void of purpose and meaning in our country. But Tucker, I think the good news in that is I think our country's not doing well, but I think that this is also our opportunity as a movement to level up and fill that void, that vacuum with our own vision individual, family, nation, God. When I talk to young people about this, they're more interested in that than they are in race, gender, sexuality, and climate. And so now we gotta start running to something as Americans, and if we do, I'm confident that our country will be doing well again. Does that sound like somebody you know? Of course, 
I hope it does. If you've been watching the show at any length of time, you know that I speak about this a lot. Transgenderism is perhaps the greatest illustration that I can come up with right off the cuff, which is that ultimately somebody redefining their biological sex to to match their gender, quote, identity is nothing less than a symptom of a desire to be noticed, a desire to want people to to care about you and to, to try to put some meta narrative underneath the way in which you feel in this world since you since you lack the kind of meaning that would come from traditional family values and from faith you're looking for something to fill that void and especially in a social media saturated culture the way to do that online is by coming out of the closet and letting people know that you're trans because if there isn't a surefire way to get likes on social media other than that I don't know what it is much like cutting in the 90s when young people specifically girls a lot but 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 both boys and girls would cut themselves just so that they would feel alive and it was said by many of these people that they would cut themselves just so that they could see their blood so that they could know that they're real and so that they could know that that their pain is it matters and that you can externalize the pain that you're feeling inside and cutting was nothing less than a than a cry for attention to know to to know that your life matters and there's some cheap ways to do that in the present um on social media among other places and one of those ways is transgenderism and so ultimately the idea of transgenderism is not just a plea for attention, but it's also this. When you do not have a sovereign God in your life to believe that your life has meaning and purpose and that things are working out according to how they are supposed to work out, well, ultimately, you have to take some of that into your own hands. And then, of course, the biological sex that you were assigned at birth based upon that little insignificant penis that you have or the opposite of that. Um, well, of course, the way that you can take that into your own hands to try to prescribe some type of sovereignty to yourself is to say, well, actually, my uh, gender is is really what's more important than my biological sex. That's just an unimportant part of my anatomy. And of course, surgery can change all of that and I can dictate it myself. So why do I need God to tell me what my biological sex is or to create me a certain way to create me male and female? I can create myself in my own image is essentially what transgenderism is. So ultimately, all of that is just an indication of the God shaped hole that each and every one of us have in our heart. If we had a return to biblical values and biblical ethics, and more importantly, to the God that created those things, it would absolutely revolutionize our lives. We would know why we're here. We would have uh, a greater sense of purpose and a greater sense of meaning in this earth. If there's one thing across the board between left and right that everybody wants, it's to know that their life matters. And there is one singular place where you can get that, where you don't have to cut off your body parts to get it. And by the way, you don't really get it there. There's only one surefire way to get that, and that's to go to the creator who created you and ask him why you were created. Now, many of you will disagree with that, but I, I defy you to provide another explanation for so much of the craziness going on in our culture today if it is not the fact that we are living in a post-Christian nation. Now, finally, uh, the big crescendo of this more than 20-minute conversation that Tucker had with Vivek comes in light of a conversation about abortion. And Vivek is giving us kind of one of his campaign trail stories. And he's talking about a woman that was yelling in an audience and was getting irate and security was starting to take her out. And he asked for that woman to be brought back in, composed her a little bit and said, hey, listen, I'll let you ask a question, but you have to let me respond. And once they agreed, the woman 
gave her question about abortion. And here is Vivek kind of talking about how that exchange went. And I think it's very important for us to pay attention to. Yeah, and and I, I, it felt wrong to me, right? Because she came here to make a point. She was totally wild in the way she was making it. But I'm watching her walk out the door. She's at the back of the room now. And I said, this doesn't feel right. Right, because as I said earlier, you tell people they can't speak, that's when they scream. You tell people they can't scream, and she was screaming. That's when they're going to go tear something down. So I said, no, bring her back. We gave her the mic. I said, say, I promised. You ask your question, but I promise I get to answer it in return. She agrees to that. It turns out she's a pro-choice advocate, a my-body-my-choice person. I was going to the state legislature on Tuesday morning. I think she must have known that. Came to this event to protest my being there. But I give her the mic. She's just talking for, you know, three, four, five minutes. But by the end of it, it actually turns out, the story comes out that she's a single mother who did bring her daughter into the world. And the things she was saying were things like, my daughter is successful. I don't want you to look down on me. And I thought it was beautiful that the more she started talking, the more she started making our very point of why we believe in protecting life. And so I said, disagreements aside, you are a mother. We celebrate that. The audience applauded. It's why I love Iowans. Wow. She broke down in tears and left. And so I'm just, I'm moved by what is possible in our country. Our country is broken. We are spiritually broken. We have a spiritual void in this country. It is our job to step up and fill that void. Well, I can tell you, not only is that a heart-wrenching story, but I've also actually seen that in my own life. People who are adamantly opposed to what you believe and what you think and having a conversation with those people very often, if you have the opportunity to kind of break away from the talking points surrounding these issues and actually get to the heart of what these people are saying, very often they, you will find that their ideas are built upon a flimsy house of cards, a, a house of sticks that can be blown over in, in a matter of moments. And that is exactly what Vivek kind of revealed here as he was speaking to this woman. Not only is this a great reminder of how important it is to have conversations about life and about how important it is for Republicans to stand up on the subject of abortion, but also this is more broadly an indication of something that I think we are so desperate for in the present, which is just this, a candidate running for president that can actually be a coherent thought leader. Our standards have gotten so low in the age of the sexual revolution where you're supposed to have sex with whoever you want because STDs, I guess, are some litmus test of a true, truly free republic that we no longer are really that interested in whether or not a president can actually be honest. So, so can we get to the place where the litmus test for our president is not co-signing all of our sexual pleasure, but actually a president who can be honest about issues, maybe even if we disagree with them? Can we end the showmanship for president and just get real with each other? I mean, it's been so long since we had a president who actually did this, that it's really refreshing to see Vivek, who is obviously an outsider, get up and actually be honest about where he actually stands on this issue, even in the face of opposition. Furthermore, can we get back to picking the man that is best suited for the job? And that's a person who can persuasively and intelligently answer basic questions. We've swapped that simple test for a D or an R. Now, I get it. On certain issues like the issue of abortion, we cannot afford to vote for the person who has any 
interest in making sure that a person can eliminate a child in the third trimester of pregnancy, the second or the first. So sometimes we're relegated to this. I get it. I know these issues matter and I don't wish to minimize them. I am just simply saying this, that we have fallen a long way from the place where we actually have intelligent communicators, persuasive personalities, and people who can coherently discuss subjects, even if you disagree with them. We've fallen so far from that, that we are now voting for decaying men from Tales from the Crypt and orange men that tend to get people angry no matter what side of the aisle you're on. So I get it. Some of you love Trump and there's certain things about Trump that I love too. But wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be refreshing to have somebody who can speak coherently and effectively and stand for the things that actually matter, the things that represent your values and the things that should represent America. I think Vivek did that wonderfully and we'll continue to see others, hopefully like Ron DeSantis, do that as well. I can't wait to see how this thing all shapes out, but I know this. If we demand better, perhaps we can have better days in the future. And I believe that for you and for me. If this was meaningful to you and it helped in any way, please comment down below. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.